Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley. Today we're going to look at local currencies, alternative money systems, and specifically what a group of artists here in Castlemaine have done to experiment with the idea of having one, creating one. The audio from this episode is from a live event that was held as part of the Castlemaine Fringe Arts Festival. I was invited to MC the evening, and as you'll hear, I was holding some of their coins in my hand as I spoke and showing them to the audience. So let's just start. It all really gets said in the audio. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. So welcome. This is the Castlemaine Currency Project What Next update and discussion. In May 2022, Jody, Dale and Anne launched an exhibition at Lot 19 and simultaneously launched a short-term trial of the Silver Waddle, an alternative local currency. They made these physical coins so people could actually have these and spend them at shops and several local businesses signed on to participate. It was equal parts an art project, an experiment and a conversation starter. It's part of a global movement to rethink how we do money. So these guys are not the only ones thinking this way. This and other projects around the world are exploring how we can strengthen our local communities and keep money in the hands of people rather than having it disappear into the kind of bottomless coffers of the already ultra wealthy. And since they launched the project last year, it's featured on ABC radio as well as local media outlets. It was the focus of a short film by Lisa Mills, which featured at the Castlemaine Documentary Film Festival. It has been part of the Transition Towns Conference in the UK. And the coins have actually been acquired by various serious coin collectors and by Museums Victoria, which is really cool. It's a project that has inspired a lot of discussion and got people thinking about what our lives and our communities might be like if we had localised currency. Before we begin, I want to acknowledge that we are privileged to be on the lands of the Jajawurrung. The Jara people have lived here for countless millennia and they lived here healthily and with abundance through that vast amount of time without coins or reserve banks or needing shiny chunks of yellow metal sitting in a vault somewhere to prove the value of healthy waterways, abundant forests or lavish biodiversity. The Jajawurrung continue to lead the way, generously sharing their wisdom on how to live here better So tonight, we'd like to acknowledge them and give thanks to them and honour Elders past and present, always was and always will be, Aboriginal land. My name's Ali Hanley and I run a local radio show and podcast called Saltgrass. I'm going to be your MC. Tonight, you're going to be hearing from the three creators of the Castlemaine Currency Project. And I hope that you'll soon see how alternative currencies can play into community responses and strategies to the climate crisis. I'm going to introduce you now to the three people behind the Castlemaine Currency Project. They are Jodie Newcomb. She's an economist and creative producer, and she brought both of those hats to this project, representing the Castlemaine Institute and Carbon Arts. 
two organisations that she co-founded. Jodie also spent time working at the Mount Alexander Shire Council, where she oversaw the delivery of their roadmap to carbon neutrality and the birth of the Wararak Initiatives, a community partnership for the climate emergency. Jodie is currently working at the Hepburn Shire Council as their Circular Economy Officer. Dale Cox is a multidisciplinary visual artist working across painting, sculpture, film and social impact, such as the Castleman's Currency Project. He's represented by the prestigious Australian galleries and has pieces in collections across Australia. He's won or been shortlisted for various prizes and awards in the art world. Anne Ferguson is an artist from Central Victoria whose passion is for making artwork with clay. Her ceramic projects include large multi-piece three-dimensional works, totems, murals and collaborations with other artists and other mediums. She lives and makes her work here on Jara Country and has been instrumental in the coin creation and design for this project. In fact, they have all taken many varied roles in delivering this project and they're going to elaborate that in the first part of tonight's event. I'm going to quickly now run you through what's going to happen tonight and do a little bit of housekeeping, including please turn your phones off or put them on silent. And then these three will start the night with about a half hour, maybe 40 minute presentation about the Castlemaine Currency Project, how they came up with the idea, how they made it all happen. And this first phase was always intended to be limited in time and scope and an experiment. So now that it's all happened and that these three creators have had a chance to catch their breath, it's worth exploring what the results were and what might be the next evolution of this concept. So after their presentation, I'm going to come back on the stage and I will lead a discussion and ask them questions about what happened when it all went live and what they've been thinking and how they've digested what they heard back from the community. Then finally, there'll be time for questions from you guys. So now I'm just going to hand straight over to the three creators. And I think, Dale, are you going to kick off proceedings? Yeah, thank you so much for coming out on a Tuesday night at 8pm. It's a good effort, thank you. I will just briefly give you a quick overview of the heart of the concept, which was to introduce a local currency to Castlemaine and why we ended up using the medium that we did, which was clay. Jody first floated the idea of introducing a local currency to me and to others. And as a visual artist, the first thing I thought of was, oddly enough, not how I might make the coins, but how a local artist that I was already across might help us make the coins, and that was Anne here, who was already doing beautiful work with impressed leaves in some of her practice. And really, I felt like a bridge between the economic experiment and you know how we might actually realise these and give them a point of difference. So in a way, I guess it almost felt like magic, the way everything just fell into place. And it was important, I think, that we did make a local currency that was embodied in this place and of this place. And hence we came up with the idea of the clay coin. And they became a real touchstone, I think, for the whole show. They became a departure point for that much, much bigger discussion and those ideas. And something tactile that you could hold that really helped you to just ruminate on the idea of currency. Certainly for me, it became a wonderful thing to have in my hand that helped me just really focus in and think about what money was or what it could be all the different things that it could be versus what it what it was. I think we were going to hand a coin out to everybody. Yeah, uh, as Dale was just saying, the tactility of this project is a really big part of it. So we're going to hand you all a coin. 
to, as, as we're talking and talking about the project, you can feel it. Everyone is unique, different. Is one silver wattle equal to 10 Australian dollars last May. It might have gone up in value since then. It might go up in value more because, oh, you've already got some. <laughs> See, there's already an underground kind of market happening here. So each of the coins is unique because it has an impression of the local silver wattle acacia on the obverse side. As I said, Anne was already using that lovely technique. And for me, it was just the perfect way to subvert that paradigm of having like a sovereign, a top-down face profile on the coin, bestowing value and sanctioning its power and us being subservient to this state-controlled currency, which imbued the value and made it legal tender. I really wanted us to reimagine where we might find the true source of wealth and the true source of value. And literally, instead of this top-down sovereign, the idea that we can find and should find value in the ground beneath our feet, in our place, where we live, in the nature, in the very earth that we stand upon. So it just seemed like such a poetic way to subvert that paradigm. And then it really came down to just simply minting the coins with, with, the, with the Castlemaine silver wattle on the other side. We wanted them to still be coins. We wanted them to still have that sense of currency as a provocation, not to depart completely from that idea of the change sort of jingling in your pocket or in your hand. I think that was important to sort of peg it to the existing idea of currency. But to use clay and to use indeed local clay was really important, I think, to the project to really bring home the idea of this place and the currency being of this place. Here's an interesting quote, I think, to open the next part of the discussion. It is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system, for if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. And this project, as we'll talk about, has been a real education for us, and the idea of it as well was to be an education and a conversation with the community around just how much we don't know about how a monetary system works and some of the less good aspects of that. So just very briefly to introduce the project, we ran during the month of May, thanks to a grant from Get Lost, the Mount Alexander Shire Council, an exhibition, a series of workshops and panel discussion, and an economic experiment. So this was the flyer that we handed out and gave people the rules for where they could buy the currency, where they could spend the currency, and 10% of all of the exchanges went to Casmain Pay the Rent. This is just a quick overview, we'll go into more detail in a bit. But just to go back a second, the idea of having a, a currency here came from understanding of the broader network and global practice of complementary currencies around the world, which a lot are linked to the transition town movement and are linked to trying to create more economic and climate resilience. And the very, very seed of it, and everyone in our group will say a different thing about how this project came about, which I think is kind of fascinating. But for me, it came about when I went to the Localised Global Matters Conference. And if anyone here was involved in that, this is a great example of some of the impact of having those sort of conferences and conversations that can seed another idea that takes off. So in that conference, I saw Rob Hoskins talk about the transition town movement in Totnes in the UK and mentioned the fact they had a local currency. And I went, oh, that is so cool. I'd never heard of that before. And then a couple of years later, researching a film to show to counsellors about climate change, I came across this amazing film called Tomorrow, which I highly recommend. And in that is a whole chapter about 
alternative currencies and the economy. And that was shown again as part of our exhibition. But that started just a lot of conversations between myself and Dale and Anne and people at the Casamain Institute about what an exciting thing that would be to do. And like all good ideas, it started over dinner and a glass of wine. But this was a very curated dinner where we brought together people who we thought could partner with us on this project. And we mapped out the role of art, the role of economics, how art and economics can work together and I started a blog and from there we were able to go into proposing this for funding. And behind that at the same time, Warwick and I were working on the Warwick initiatives with the local council, which was the community's response to the climate emergency. And part of that was commissioning Warwick to do a vision for the future economy. And within that vision was the role of a local currency in doing all sorts of great things to help us transition, basically creating jobs where we needed jobs and creating much more humane working conditions and more localization in our food systems and other supply chains. So really looking at how a local currency can actually be the silver bullet, if you like, to create a circular economy. So the currency project was within that umbrella of climate action locally, and the Wairarak is the Jajaran word for silver wattle. And we're really grateful for Auntie Julie and Uncle Rick for giving us this word, giving it to the climate change movement locally. The silver wattle was gifted to us because of its use as a glue and its many uses within Indigenous culture that speak to what binds us to country and what binds us to each other as a community, and also the diversity of all of us and the things that that we bring. So very beautiful framing and the plant itself just keeps giving in terms of metaphor and story. It's a pioneer plant that is able to help restore and heal country and so it was a very logical place for us to think about the use of this concept in our coin. So just to finish off, all of that research was sort of encapsulated with a statement that we put at the beginning of the exhibition. And this is really the idea behind what we were trying to do with this art project as conversation. What if money was created not by banks in exchange for debt, which is how it is created, but by communities in exchange for good deeds? Imagine we had a monetary system that created not scarcity, as it currently does, but abundance. One that was designed to offer security for the most vulnerable in our society rather than preying on them. One that celebrated the uniqueness of a particular place and the diversity of its community. One that supported a shared vision of economic resilience and thriving rather than exploiting and exporting local sources of wealth to feed a global network of corporate elites, which is what currently happens. So that was the idea behind the currency and I think a lot of alternative currencies around the world. So then uh, next stage, we get funded by Get Lost, a grant to actually make the coins. So Dale and Anne received that funding and I'll now pass to Anne to talk about what happened at the Casamain Mint. How, how did we make these coins? Okay, so the Mint was actually my studio in Bowden Street. And I guess I started with feeling rather overwhelmed by the idea of doing this very big thing when I was used to making small artworks that went to one person, if I was lucky. And I couldn't quite imagine how I could actually be involved in a project that had this sort of broad scope. Anyway, we started out and as Dale said, I had been making impressions and the silver bottle makes a beautiful impression. I've got a slab roller in my studio, so that was what we used to actually roll out beautiful thin slabs of white stoneware clay, which were placed on a sort of cement sheet base, which enabled them to be cut. So there was quite a lot of experimentation getting the silver wattle to be impressed on one side. So we had to go and cut 
the silver wattle. Fortunately, there was some silver wattle shrubs just at the front of my house, not too far away. And then the slab with the silver wattle was actually covered with a piece of cloth and fed through the slab roller again to impress them right deeply into the clay. And then there was a whole process of engaging somebody else to design the business side of the coin, I guess, which was done by... I'm Josh Durham from Design by Committee. He does beautiful graphic art, designs book covers and things. He volunteered his services for free and came up with that simple design for the coin, which, as I said earlier, was designed to look and emulate currency as much as possible. And then we had that design taken to Storyland, who also gave their time free to convert those designs into a three-dimensional program, which could then be fed to a 3D printer. And then we had the dies printed in 3D for the business side of the coin. So you can see that the business side of the coin is just stamped into the plain side with the silver wattle underneath. So we stamped the coins and then we had to cut them out. So this was quite tricky because we went through a process of trying to find some kind of cutting object that would actually fit the coins. And we came up with plastic wine goblet from the op shop, I think. Yes. Plastic champagne flutes for a, for, for a barbecue. Yeah. So you can see it's a very hands-on process. They were pressed in and then you would blow through the backside of the flute to push the clay out of the flute. You don't want to get your fingers in there and mess around with it too much. So that worked really well. It was really quite funny, despite my concerns about whether that was really okay. During COVID. During COVID. <laughs> Every coin has a little bit of our DNA in, in So there we go. And then they were dried out and they were fired in my little kiln. So it's quite a small kiln, but it could accommodate a lot. Of, and you can see they could be stacked up because they didn't have any glaze and then been coated with some local clay, which is how we decided to colour the coins. One thing that we've sort of left out between this and the last thing is they needed to have an edge because the whole concept of them being a tactile object to hold in your hand necessitated some kind of texture around the outside. So that was provided by a little wheelie thing. What was that, Dale? It was a plastic cog that I found at the op shop. And to be honest, I'm not sure of its original purpose. And we literally just ran that around the perimeter of each coin in its raw state to give it, they call it a milled edge, which as you can feel, it just finishes them off nicely as a coin. I think there was something like $10,000 in monetary terms. I'm not sure how many that was, but I can only say that I thought at the start that we would be doing this process once and it turned out to be like maybe seven or eight day will be back and we'd be making more and making but it was it was really fun and we really enjoyed it another quote that we had up in the exhibition the issuing power of money should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it belongs so we joked that dale and i left our day jobs and we started making our own money so how to thrive as an artist <laughs> And here's just a little overview of the exhibition, which was a really big part of expanding on this idea of participating in the conversation and educating ourselves and the public about 
local currencies. So at, at the heart of the exhibition was this installation that Dale created that literally showed the coins coming out of the earth with the silver wattle growing on top and that was the centre of the exhibition. We consulted with Uncle Rick and Kath Koff in terms of the, the use of Indigenous artefacts and knowledge to help understand the original trade and economic activity before European arrival and had a section of the exhibition that talked about that connection between the silver wattle, the Wararak and the work that the artist Dakota Nelson had done for the Wairak initiatives, which was all part of that network of the climate action that we were part of. We also looked at indigenomics as a concept, thinking about how indigenous people think about economy and the fact that greed is not a word that exists in lots of indigenous languages, that circularity is, and reciprocity is very much part of the idea of economics in our First Nations. And so it was a great sort of contextualization and then moved from there into, I'll just let Dale speak a little bit what the economy looked like yeah, um, after the gold rush. As much as this idea is and does seem to be a progressive idea, it's also just a reimagining of what once was. Any, anyone born previous to 1970, like myself, probably has vague memories of the milk truck that would come around and deliver the milk to your door and the local butcher and all your local traders. And small towns like Castlemaine and throughout the Western world, throughout many parts of the world, up until the 50s and 60s had a thriving local economy. So much more used to be produced locally. Makers and traders and consumers were all part of the same community. And if you had a pair of boots made locally, which you often did, every town would have its own boot maker, and the sole came off your boot, you would take it back and they would humbly apologize and repair it for you. There was an accountability there and there was a relationship there. And there was a network of makers and consumers. And Castlemaine, like a lot of towns in the colonial era, even minted their own tokens. They had trade tokens that the shops themselves issued because there was actually a scarcity of English currency during the gold rush and, and afterwards that necessitated the town to literally mint their own coins. So this idea is actually a return to something that pre-globalisation, pre-endgame capitalism, corporate takeovers and what have you, was actually a very robust local economy. This is just a reimagining in some ways of, of what we've lost, if you like. Yeah, which I think embodies really what the circular economy is trying to reclaim as well, sort of repair society and localization. And we had a little exhibition at the Casman Art Museum with their collection of these tokens, and they also were a place where you could buy the coin. And so the exhibition was open for a month, and we had lots of activities in there, which we'll talk to you next, but it was a really wonderful place to inhabit, actually, for me personally, and having those conversations with people and building all of the research that we'd done around circular economy and how that might look on Jara country, linking to regen movements around the country like Regen Melbourne, looking, and this is the most fun bit, really, was looking at all of the local currencies from around the world and you know the Brixton pound has Bowie's head on it and the Totnes pound had illustrations from local school children on their notes and just incredible kind of diversity and reflections of the place that come from that currency so I purchased a bunch of currencies on eBay and through Etsy and the like and blew some of those up to make this installation and there's a map there that just showed there were 300 currencies around the world and on our Facebook page we, we posted lots of stories about how those currencies work and the sorts of good work they do for social and economic repair in their communities. 
And this was just one of the feedback quotes we had in our exhibition book. The exhibition makes it very clear that the current design of our monetary system could not be more damaging to our beautiful planet. Thank you for making it clear that we can design a better monetary system that strengthens our relationships and restores our ecologies. Once again, just back to the rules of the game. For those of you who didn't participate or don't remember, we had three weeks. The project was really asking us to think about how we can design a resilient local economy and keep that money circulating locally in our town. You could buy the currency from the Visitors Information Centre, Casmin Art Museum and Lot 19 at the exhibition and the exchange rate was $10 for one silver waddle and we worked with the tap room, Johnny Baker's, Tortoise Espresso, Harvest Fruit and Veg, Bar Midland, Caboose and Feb Chocolates, Sprout Bakery and other people joined in and said I'll accept it, I'll accept it and we'd love to know you know more about those sorts of informal trades that happened and lots of people kept it. One of the things I loved was just how people in invented their own offerings so the tap room made a particular offering for the, the currency only and same with the orchard keepers. So a lot of people purchasing fruit and veg. I think that's a good healthy reflection of our community. But then also a lot of people buying Johnny Baker's baked goods because it's so addictive. We didn't want traders to feel like they would be stuck with this coinage and they'd lose money. So we said, we'll come back and we'll buy it off of you. But Lloyd actually didn't give us the money back to buy. He said, no, 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 I'm just going to keep spending it. So he went to Bar Midland and had a nice meal and he went and did all of his shopping and stuff with the coins and gave it to his staff as well. And that's exactly how we would have liked to run it, but we didn't feel like we could really ask that much of the business community to do that. So in terms of what next, that might be a really nice thing to try if we do it again, is to just let it go and see if people are selling things and receiving the coin that they can get value by continuing to circulate it. We made overall $10,000 worth of coin before we even started the project. We got so excited about the coins, we gave away about 2,200. <laughs> Vicky, you've got a bunch there. It's all above board. And then we sold almost $6,000 worth, which means we gave $600 to Casme Pay the Rent, the 10%. And then about 2,500 were traded and then we bought back. And about 3,500 were kept as keepsakes. And lots of people we heard from the Visitors Information Centre bought them for their grandchildren, bought them as keepsakes. And I think that tourism aspect is a really, a really positive one too. And now we still have 4,400 maybe 4,000 after we hand it out tonight. And overall, in terms of the project accounting, we did make that income from the coin sales and we had the income from the grant, but the, the project cost just a bit more than, than what we got. So that was a kind of poetic outcome, we thought. And if we had a bit of money, we just kept spending it. We gave it to Lisa to make the documentary film. We did little things like that to kind of even it out. And we're gonna talk now a little bit to the community engagement. We discovered what a numinist is, an insane person who pays money for other pieces of money. We had a Facebook page with 441 followers and we did lots of conversation around that, around local currencies. The exhibition itself was really about engagement and we created opportunities in the exhibition for people to interact. So this whole room was actually taking that Wairarak Economy Vision 2040 and putting all of the visions and statements up on the wall and getting people to comment on what they thought. So, you know, we had lots of enthusiastic contributions or discussions around those ideas. And, and do you want to speak a little bit about the workshop and how you yeah. ran those. Okay. I felt it was really important that people understand the process and it wasn't a sort of secretive kept to one person knowledge how we made these coins. And people had said, oh, well, somebody might copy them. And we felt, well, that would be okay, actually, if they could. But, you, I mean, you heard what I said about the evolution of how they were actually made. It was actually quite tricky, and without the equipment, it would be quite hard. But we did have these 
workshops where we encourage people to actually make the coins and just feel the process. And I always feel that in the making of anything really, just being a maker is a very empowering process. I mean, I think I said at the start of what I said about feeling empowered by actually being involved in this process beyond my normal practice. It just gave me a sense of having something to really offer. So yeah, I think this was a really important thing to do. We also ran a panel discussion. There's Maren, who's the head of economy and culture in the Shire, and Warwick Smith from the Casman Institute who penned that vision, as well as Anitra Nelson, who wrote a book called Beyond Money, which we read in part before and while putting the exhibition on. And I love her vision of a world without money. You know, So we're really kind of opening out this conversation about the economy quite broadly, seeing if council will be interested in taking this idea forward. So that was fun. And then we did a film showing of the Tomorrow film. So just a little bit more, I just wanted to talk to you about the impact because this, this whole theme of this part of the Fringe Festival is about social impact. And it began even before we launched the project locally that we had this article in the Garland magazine, which was a fantastic way to kind of start getting the word out about what we were doing here. But it was our local rag, the Midland Express, that really got us out into the world, believe it or not. It's amazing the power of a front page news story in the Castle Main rag because that then launched the interest of ABC and we had this fantastic article that then it was like a flurry of media activity. We got interviews on various radio stations. There's a couple up there and fascinatingly, as we mentioned earlier, like so many of the journalists were like, so you're worried about people forging this coin? And we're just sort of like stammering, going, do you know how hard that would be? <laughs> You'd have to have a kiln and, you know, good on them. Like, jo join the team, it's great. It cost, cost about 50 bucks for each coin they made. I <laughs> <laughs> but it was fascinating that all journalists were just like tapping into the worst parts of human nature. And we're like, this is a community bank built on trust, you know? And then the other cool thing that happened was Rob Hoskins, who kind of inspired all of this in the first place, he found out about us and he contacted us and said, can you talk about the Casamine Currency Program? Project in our Transition Towns Movement conference online at the end of this week. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. So we made a little video on my mum's couch. Here are the coins, this is what we're doing. And he wrote this message back. He said, I love it, it's perfect. It will go down a storm. Guaranteed there'll be a rash of clay-based currencies very soon, all of whom will trace their lineage back to these coins. He is such a cool guy. He wrote a book called From What If to What Is, and he talks about a lot of these projects as being art projects. And I love being part of that lineage of art projects that actually are about social change and, and that you know art has that power to really make things interesting happen. And then interestingly, that conference led on to us being contacted by the Royal College of Art saying, we'd like to include your project in an article about best practice or for how to treat and work with the environment. And I actually wrote to him yesterday saying, has that article been published? And he's almost, we'll send it to you for comment. So that was really cool. And that was just, you know, without even trying. So obviously is a much loved idea. And then we got collected by Museums Victoria. And then we were invited, well, I should say we applied and were accepted to the Incinerator Art Award, Art for Social Change in Melbourne at the Incinerator Gallery, where we put together an installation of the coins coming out of the earth with the silver wattles growing in, in it. So that was a, a real privilege to be part of that show which was really interesting and then we have this article in the ceramics magazine that thanks to Anne Ferguson and four or five page article about the work and just to end with some more quotes from our visitors book people really just gave us back so much beautiful energy so bravo love seeing the evolution of this project can't wait till silver wattle is in daily circulation 
fantastic, really interested in participating and seeing this move forward. A wonderful and provocative idea and Fiebler revolution. So hope some of you in the audience who said that keep going. But if you want to see anything that we've talked about tonight online, you can go to either the Carbon Arts webpage about the Casamain currency. There's all, you can download the film and all that stuff's up there, and blogs and articles and everything. And the Facebook page is also a place where you can track all of the work that we did over that period. So let's talk about what you actually expected to happen through the, initiating this project and having a local currency, even just for a little window of time. Yeah, what was your expectation? And then I guess, how did the reality differ from that? And each of you in turn, it'd be nice to hear from each of you, because I'm sure you each had different expectations. I, yeah, I've got to be honest that I, I think the whole project definitely exceeded my expectations. And it was something that for me was a real eye-opener in the way that it took me on a journey and helped me to think differently and about currency, to really sort of question it for the first time in my own life as well. So for me, it was an incredibly expanding idea and it blew my own mind in that sense. And then the way the people of Castlemaine embraced it, the way the traders were so enthusiastic, I think of all the traders we approached, there was only one place that declined and they had their good reasons for that. And Dallas was just so incredibly open and happy to take the coins, spend the coins and join the discussion. It really, I thought it was incredibly well received. Yeah. Well, I felt very much the same because I couldn't really see how I could do this initially, but sort of stepping through it gradually, it really opened my mind to the power of collaboration and working three heads with different sorts of skills, working together what you can do. And like Dale, it was such a learning process. And actually making it really empowered me and wanting other people to make it as well. Sharing that creativity is something that I, I really enjoy and the whole tactile nature of the thing was so wonderful and the thought that all these people would have these things in their hands was very empowering for me, yeah. So it, it definitely exceeded my expectations and was a bit of a turning point, I think, in my practice, yeah. I think, yeah, it's exceeded my expectations too and I just had so much fun. And I think about the irony of the fact that for a month I was paid almost nothing and the whole project was about money and just the gift, I guess, that art is, you know, that you're giving this to the community, you're giving to yourself at the same time. It's so nurturing and it's so positive. It was one of my favourite moments of last year. And in a way, I still harbour this hope that it could become a real currency. And whilst the experience of it exceeded my expectations, I really did hope that when I brought philanthropy in to have a look at what we were doing and say, can you just find a way to fund us to actually do this? And it hasn't happened yet, but that was, I guess, like a, like a way of letting go. Like, okay, well, maybe that was an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> well, it was your first baby step, really, and people needed to see it in action, I think, to believe it as well. So you kind of needed to do that. I think all three of you are involved in the arts and 
we're going to talk about how this project had social impact, but also the role of art in this project. And I think, Dale, you've mentioned that maybe this project was a change for you from your usual art practice, where you have a really strong message and you're trying to talk to people who see your art through your art. But this had a different layer of, of engaging with people, didn't it, as a social impact project? Yeah, very much so. I'm very traditional in many ways. I, I stand at an easel. Uh, many, many hours a day and paint pictures. And I couldn't be more medieval in my art practice if I tried. And very much a solo act in many ways. And I haven't had a lot of opportunities to collaborate or even just to move out of that sort of white box of the art gallery with hopes of selling an artwork that probably disappears into someone's house and is never seen again, apart from those people. It was wonderful to collaborate on an art project that just had so much more scope and so much more reach and social impact and, and to make a beautiful object that these coins are that was really just the departure point for such a bigger, broader conversation and a provocation. It was very nurturing for me as an artist and very rewarding in that way. And the fact that so many traders were prepared to go along with it and actually do it, it was mind-blowing, really. I, I just thought, right, we could do this. It could really happen. And the amount of people who just decided to keep the coin rather than trade with it, well, I found that quite rewarding as well. It was like, well, you obviously value the object more than the beef and burgundy pie, you know. <laughs> and try getting a piece of Anne Ferguson ceramics for less than... I'm just you know, going to say. <laughs> it's a, it, you know, this is, this, is, this is a serious piece of art you've got, people. And it was terrific that so many people actually chose to just keep them. Oh, I was just going to say, it's been wonderful working with these two because I've known Anne for like maybe 20 years, maybe, or 15, 20 years. And, it, and from the very beginning of Carbon Arts, I approached Anne and said, let's do something with your little houses and carbon offsets and there can be a little conversation piece for people taking action on climate change. And then meeting Dale, who's my partner, and I love the idea of working on a kind of passion project together and bringing what we both care about together into action. And it all kind of came together that just felt very poetically kind of right and also like you said earlier our different ways of thinking about things and our respect for each other just really created I think a really good holistic project. Mm. Jodie your background as an economist how much did you feel that either getting in the way or helping this project? Oh it was great I mean we did it on a shoestring so Dale had this really great idea about how to do it in a way that looked beautiful but was very low impact and so he cut out these big chalkboards essentially and then I could just write everyone said that my drawings look like artwork so I was like oh, okay I'm just going to draw the circular economy and it was like that's art <laughs> and it was great because I got, I, I'm a, more of a creative producer I don't often get to be an artist so it was kind of fun to just like yeah do be on the wall be on the wall yeah <laughs> but no it was actually a, a dream come true to bring that economics background and my creative practice together and you know like Rob Hoskins it is a creative act to try to forge something new and there's that social practice that working with community as art and that's what I love. Mm. I love that too. And and you said you feel like this has changed your art practice. Would you reflect on that a bit more? I think it's about being open to risk more and sort of stepping beyond what I know how to do and being prepared to give things a try and see what happens and work with others. So there's lots of potential out there in this community. You know, there's lots of artists, there's heaps of things that I'd like to do and I just feel freer to actually embark on ideas that maybe, you know, I don't have a sort of strong 
understanding what the outcome might be. I've always seen art as a kind of a safe space, if you like, to explore ideas. And I think people grant art that license to be that space in which we break things open and look at them, or, or we pick things apart, or we ask difficult questions, or we offer obtuse angles in on things that we may not think of. Otherwise, you know, art is that playful space where we can pick apart things. And for me, it was the perfect place to explore an idea like this and to actually be able to embody that with, with a physical object, with a piece of art that, as I said before, becomes the departure point for the much bigger project and discussion. The art was the sort of shiny, pointy end of that project that gave you something tactile to hold that then invited those bigger questions and perfect space to explore those types of ideas. Yeah, and I think design comes into it too. Like the exhibition was designed as a platform for participation and the currency experiment was designed as a way to embody an idea. So people literally had the experience of what that could be and what that could feel like. And I think with climate change and all the scary things that are going to make our lives vastly different to what they are now, we need to have those opportunities through art and participation performance to actually embody what a future might be, both positive and negative in preparation. So I feel like that was a great opportunity to do that kind of a Thing, but like personally, now that I'm the circular economy officer at Hepburn, I feel like perhaps my role is more about working with art in partnership with actually trying to make stuff happen at that kind of community level. So I still think mixing the two together, they have to be really good partners and the art can only go so far, but if there can be a really good partnership, I think they can work incredibly well together. And I feel like with the currency project, it was sort of a little bit too much on the side of art and not enough on the side of the economists going, yes, we can actually do this. And yeah, maybe that's just the next step, I don't know. And Anne, you ran workshops with people and helped facilitate other people in the process of making money, which you found so powerful personally. Did you get feedback from people who participated? Oh, everybody just loved doing it. And people, I think we I actually did fire the money that they made. So there was a lot of joy in that. Ceramics is a great thing for everybody. It's just such a wonderful medium and people really enjoy touching clay and touching plants. It's all about getting away from the screens and using your hands and being a maker and the joy in that. So what would be next? What could be next after this first iteration of the project and how you've seen the community respond to it? What do you think could happen. I like this idea and I kind of ran out of steam at the end of the month of May and then I got COVID and all went downhill from there. But I love this idea of having a shareholders meeting. So all of you now who have the coin are shareholders and all of the people out there have the, the 3,500 are shareholders. And we come together and we go, well, we've still got 4,000 in the bank. What can we do with this collective wealth that we share? Do we want to do something new with it? And to actually open that up. And it could be an artwork as a shareholder meeting. like. Why not? One, one of the things that we were picking apart when we talked about how to sort of seed the currency into the community, and it needs a whole lot of more economic thinking on it than I'm able to provide, but we did talk about that idea that the current monetary system really just rewards greed to an extent, and it rewards all the wrong things. It rewards lawyers being charged top dollars to wheedle money out of that person over there or feeds global corporations that compete and then buy out other businesses and then put their prices up. It really does just thrive on greed, the monetary system at the moment. And we sort of envisaged a currency that could do the opposite of that and reward 
virtuous acts in the community or hard work and effort that we recognise all around us in the community that is currently unrewarded or poorly paid. So one idea would be to literally just give the money to people who are unrecognised. So down at Landcare on a Sunday morning, I had the idea of wouldn't it be great to give everyone 50 bucks worth of silver currency, keep up the good work. Or at primary school where my son gets his principal's award on Monday morning at assembly for helping his friend out in class. Imagine if he got a silver waddle coin and every kid got one for their principal's award. And just, just to sort of seed the community with coins. The only thing of course we need to do for that to happen is someone to actually back it up, someone to actually put philanthropist money forward or what have you so that the coins have literally been purchased and then they continue to have it pegged against the Australian dollar. That's the tricky bit that I don't know how to solve. But just to work against that greed thing and to try and level the playing field out a little bit with a currency that actually has heart, you know, that, that was something that I think we could flesh out down the track. If the currency actually took off, Anne, what do you think it would take to <laughs> make enough coin. Oh, well, I mean, there's a lot of ceramicists in Castleman, and you know, it's not that hard to do. We got pretty good at it. We did. We were we did. churning them out. I by reckon the end. we could have a few more helpers. Yeah. It could also be digital. I mean, that was that's always on the cards, and you could do a whole other art project saying, let's do a note, and who wants to do the drawings for the note, and that could be a whole interesting exploration of our local history and community. But. We actually looked at that and went, no, but this is really cool. What we're doing is really, really of this place. Jar country speaking through the earth. So yeah, maybe it isn't digital. Mm, great. Well, maybe it's time to open up questions. If anyone wants to ask these guys anything, I'll bring you a microphone. So there you go. From there, we had some audience questions and there were some really great questions from the audience. But unfortunately, the audio from the microphone that was going around the audience didn't pick up very clearly what was happening. And we've also run out of time for our one hour radio's time slot. If I can clean up that audio, I will share those question and answers with you on the podcast as some bonus material. I also have a panel discussion that happened last year as part of the exhibition where they had some economists on the panel discussing the different pros and cons of trying to establish local currencies. And I'm hoping to upload that as bonus episode on the podcast as well. So head to your podcast app and subscribe to Saltgrass if you want to hear those sort of things. Of course, you can listen to this episode and every other episode on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com because so many wonderful things were talked about in this episode. There are lots and lots of links that are available on the website as well. So if you're interested in any of the things Jodie, Dale or Anne were talking about, you can find the links on the website page. Don't forget to get your Saltgrass Ethical t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, posters and puzzles. And there are new designs all the time. I just released a bee design, a blue banded bee, which was from the Wilderhoods episode. So that's now up on t-shirts and various things. You can follow us on all the socials and you can subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. This program was made possible with the support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Ellie Hanley. Thanks for listening. Salt. 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 Yeah. Salt.
Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.